The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. TGAF is back from vacation. I'm sure everybody missed us. Uh, I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of uh, New Bronstein Times. And Matthew Fairburn, he's also of The Athletic. And he is on location today. He is joining us from the uh, Highmark Stadium. I had to remember what it was. Highmark Stadium, which is great. Great for Highmark's investment. Uh, He's in the Orchard Park press box. Matthew Fairburn is Jonah Bronstein plant did not get moved. I did not. Yeah. It's no. been a while. I'm out of rhythm. And uh, I am f- coming to you from the basement office at Graham central station. This is Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK. We have a lot to talk about and I think that it is worthwhile, even though not a lot of this is fresh, but these, these um, storylines are so uh, massive that people are dissecting them. And I still think they're worth talking about uh, the various things that have happened while, uh, while I was on vacation. Um, the Jack Eichel situation, particularly the statement that came out from his agents and also an interview uh, with the doctor who is recommending the disc replacement surgery. He has uh, come out and, and spoken about uh, the process. Uh, the Bill Stadium situation, and whether Austin is now uh, emerging as the NFL's new boogeyman to replace Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and Toronto. And um, UB, a lot of stuff going on with UB. And Jonah's been all over that. Uh, The TBT uh, attorney, uh, UB football starting practice. But um, let's start with the stadium. Let's start with uh, the Bills and uh, their long-term future in Western New York and where they are going to play. Um, Matthew, you've been out there at practice. I know you've been, um, you've been following this. You, you have not been on vacation. So uh, what's, what's your latest thought on, on having followed this and, um, and being around folks over there at uh, One Bills Drive? I think this is fairly typical of how these things go when, you know, NFL teams need new stadiums, which we could probably start there. The idea that all these NFL teams need new stadiums and have to have brand new shiny stadiums in every single market, I think is a little bit obnoxious. Like here, I'm sitting in this stadium right now, and I think it's a perfectly fine place to watch a football game. I think it suits this market pretty well. And it's one of a handful of places in the league that I think you can say that that'd be a cool place to catch a game because of the environment, because of the history. The fact that the NFL seems to like one by one want to get rid of all these places and replace them with stadiums that look exactly like the one in Atlanta, the one in Minnesota, these monstrosities that are lifeless. I mean, MetLife you see them when you see them for the first time, Matthew, you think, wow, just wow, just wow, just wow. But you, I don't know, like MetLife Stadium was the big thing. I think it's the worst stadium in the league. Every time I go there, I think it's just a terrible place to watch a football game. So I'd start there and say that I think that premise alone is pretty annoying. But I understand this building's old. It's been a topic basically since I've been here and they, you know, did the $130 million worth of renovations this is sort of the opening stance, right? Of, hey, give us all the public money and we'll build this stadium. And if you don't, somebody else might do it. I think 
it's unfair to the fans in Western New York that after years of fearing this exact situation that they're right back where they started. And I think it says a lot about Terry and Kim Pagula and the people who sit here and think, oh, they would never do that. You know, they're, they're Buffalo people. Like they saved, they saved Western New York. They would not do that to us. They absolutely would. Um, they, they absolutely are, are not above doing that. But I do think it's a little bit more complicated than just picking a spot on the map and moving your team. But they don't have as much business in Western New York as they did a few years ago. They don't have near as much worth as they did a few years ago after the pandemic and what happened in the oil and gas industry. To me though, the, I think where you can poke holes in it is, is Austin a legitimate boogeyman? You know, what teams in the past had an advantage with was- well, let's, let's, let's maybe stop right there, Matthew, before we get into Austin. Let's, let's revisit the Pagula state of mind. As it, as it were. Now, we need to be a bit psychic uh, in talking about this, but you gave some examples as to why they ha- are not as entrenched in Western New York. Um, I think that it should be pointed out, and a lot of people haven't mentioned this, uh, is that one of Terry Pagula's best friends in sports is Stan Kroenke. I was going to mention. Stan Kroenke from St. Louis bought the Rams to move them to Los Angeles. Now I'm not saying that Terry Pagula is working on a move, but these guys vibe off each other. They like each other a lot. And Terry Pagula has an admiration for Stan Kroenke and vice versa. And this has been since Stan Kroenke moved the team too. It's not as though Terry Pagula has been turned off by Stan Kroenke and what he did. Uh, to the Rams by extracting them from uh, from uh, St. Louis and moving them to Los Angeles. So that's just something I want to mention. I believe he's on the record since the move. They voted for the move. And that was the whole thing with Ralph was he never did that. And it was almost like, a, of course, you know, you know. And one of the first owners meetings that I covered, it was either 2015 or 2016 at the little cocktail party that they have with the media and the owners and the coaches and the whole thing, almost the entire night from open till beyond past close, um, Terry Pakula was standing with Stan Kroenke and yucking it up, enjoying plenty of wine. Like that is the circle he, he travels in at these things. You know, he's not with the, old guard ownership. He's with guys like Stan Kroenke and the complications Stan Kroenke went through to get the Rams to LA. He had a hockey team. You know, if, if anybody could offer him some advice, it would be Stan. And I think, I know people like to attach emotional, like as if Terry and Kim Pagula are friends, they're neighbors, they're the person down the street, but it probably is a lot healthier to think of Terry Pagula as Stan Kroenke. And St. Louis absolutely deserved to keep that team. The amount of time and money that was wasted putting together a fantastic new stadium plan for St. Louis, only for Stan Kroenke to say, yeah, actually, we're going to go to L.A. It didn't matter to him at all. It was all just part of. And he's from St. Louis. Right. He bought that team to move it. The city and, you know, the team put together this, you know, they had a good plan to keep the team in St. Louis, a good stadium plan. And he wanted to move it to LA and got what he wanted, got his big palace. And, you know, so that's the way these things go, I guess is my point. Don't sit and here another, and dismiss it out of hand. Right. And another layer to this too is um, the love fest that existed when Terry Pagula bought the Sabres and even more so by multiples of a hundred when he bought the bills and the release within Western New York, uh, of people saying, thank God, you know, crying, calling into WGR in tears, saying my grandchildren are going to be able to watch the Buffalo Bills. All of that, well, I don't want to say all of it. A lot of that is gone. And the Pagulas are human beings, and they, well, maybe Terry not as much as Kim, but 
the children, they know what's being said about them regarding the Sabres. They don't feel the love anymore. And let's just, again, I, I keep saying these, we're talking about human beings. At what point do the Pagulas as business people say, what do we owe these people who, who just rip us every day? And that's the nature of being an owner. I'm not saying the fans are being unfair, but again, I, I think it underscores your point, Matthew, that there is a, a belief and it's not as strong as it used to be, but I, there is still a belief that the bills can't move because it's, they owe it. They, everybody owes, you know, everything's been signed. There's been a blood pact that the Pagulas would never do this. I just don't as much as, and as time goes on, go ahead, Jonah. Well, I, I, I think I would disagree with both of you on that point. I, if not a blood pact, I think there has been an emotional bond created between the Pagulas and Buffalo and Western New York. And I don't think they would move the team to another city. I do think that they would, if they can't get, the stadium deal that they feel like they need to and the NFL feels like they need to sell out of the operation and sell the franchise to somebody else who could potentially move the team because that kind of washes their hands of it. And if you're not listening to the podcast, I just did a hand motion to indicate that. But And Jonah doesn't really wash his hands. He doesn't believe in soap and sunscreen. Right. And that's that. a, and so that's right, a, correct, that correct. is a meaningful gesture for yeah. a no Is that guy. how you wash he hands? Wash his hands. <laughs> but – and – still owning the Sabres and the arena and the Harbor Center. And I know they sold out of a lot of downtown properties, but they still own several of them. I don't think they have any interest or any stomach for being the public enemy number one in Buffalo while still having so many holdings in West New York. Now, if they had sold the Sabres, the arena and all that land first, then I would be very worried if I were a Western New York fan that the, the bills were next. But until that happens, I don't see any scenario where the Pagulas pick up and move the team in the middle of the night, like Jim Irsay, I just, that would be unfathomable to me the way they bought the bills to be the King and Queen of Western New York. And even though it hasn't played out quite the way, maybe the Pagula family and PSE dreamed it would, it still is. I feel like that dream and that emotional attachment is there. And I just don't see them moving up to a middle city in the middle of the night, just for money. And is there a, is there anything in the, sale that prevents them I think for a certain period of time stadium. so if the that's that's the tricky part I, I think they have problems moving out of the stadium but once there's a new stadium and a new deal and a new contract that changes something but they can always sell the team to somebody else yeah and i i think too uh where and you mentioned matthew regarding the stadium being fine and it is a it, it should be a bucket list destination for a football fan, not even a Bills fan, but a football fan to catch a game, to do the tailgating, the whole atmosphere. Um, but it is a 50-year-old building. And from what I understand, the infrastructure upgrades required and that will be required fairly soon on this stadium is about the cost of a third or a half of a stadium, a new one. It's getting to the point I just had to take my car into the shop today. Uh, at some point in my 2013, uh, and at some point, these repairs are going to be stupid <laughs> to be sinking money uh, into this uh, car just because it's paid off and I don't want to make a car payment. Um, but yeah, so I think that, and, and th by the way, when I talk about infrastructure stuff, this is not the type of uh, renovations that make the seats worth any more money it just makes it sellable, you know, that it's so things don't fall down. Um, it's, you know, just because you're putting several hundred million into this stadium doesn't mean you can charge more for the seat. It's still the same seat. Um, it's not accoutrements. It's not putting it, you know, within a, a special seating area or whatever. But anyways, um, getting back to the Pagulas. But I, a new stadium can also be a community asset in some ways, depending on how it gets used, how it's right. built how it could be used by maybe UB and, and the local high school games and things like that and concerts and big events, probably not a Super Bowl, but if you build a new stadium, you got to start thinking of every type of event that could be brought to Buffalo. See, brought I, to Orchard I don't, Park I don't think, that. I don't think a new stadium would be an asset to the community if they put it out here in Orchard Park and make it outdoors. I agree with that. That's I why I, this is my problem with the whole idea of the Pagulas asking for 100% of funding from the state and wanting an open air stadium in Orchard Park. I like the idea of an open air stadium in Orchard Park. I like the idea of even 
doing something like, you know, a nice building like Gillette Stadium or what the Packers did or, or Arrowhead and having the outdoor atmosphere in Orchard Park. Totally cool with that. But when you're asking for 100% of public money for that building, it's relatively useless outside of eight, you know, 10 games a year and whatever playoff games you get. I think it is, I don't know, like you said, you're not getting a Super Bowl. They've never really gotten huge concerts or anything like that. If you want to make this an argument of- Well, they, they do get the occasional. They get one or occasional, two a year. Right? A couple of years. Year. But right. because of the weather, you're not doing year round concerts. And I don't know how much of an asset it really is to the community sitting out here in Orchard Park. I think certainly if you're going to make that case and say, look, we need 100% of public money and this is going to be good for the region. I think many studies have been done that show there's very little economic benefit to building a new stadium, that that, that idea is sort of what gets used to push public money through, but it's not reality. But if you want to make that case, I think you got to put a roof on it and you got to put it downtown because then you can attract a little something more in terms of concerts, maybe conference title games, convention space. Yeah. You can connect it to the hockey arena. You can figure something out to make it more useful, but from a football standpoint, and as you know, a consumer of football in Orchard Park, open air, I think is the better football experience. And I think that's why Terry Pagula wants that in a stadium, there's a, a unique atmosphere here that can't be recreated. And yeah, I think you're right, Tim. Eventually the building does need to be replaced. It's old. It's not, you know, I, I may like it and others may like watching games here, but you do need to make sure it doesn't fall down. Uh, that wouldn't look very good on, on, on the NFL or ownership's part, but it's, I think it's tricky to, it's going to be a really tricky few years trying to figure out how this gets paid for. And all I'm, I'm not sitting here telling people to sit up at night and lose sleep over whether the bills are going to move because frankly, it's out of everybody's control outside of, uh, you know, a handful of uh, politicians and, you know, these and who very, are those politicians even going to be? That's another exactly. element that we need it to discuss makes it here. even trickier. So I don't think, I don't think that matters either. Unless maybe if Rudy Giuliani or some nutso Republican ends up being the governor. But I don't think there's any politician that is going to come out and say, uh, we refuse to pay for a new stadium. Oh, I agree with that. But in terms of negotiations and getting a deal done, of getting a deal done and who's signing off, I mean, that, I mean, just that, that aspect of it, you know, there's more hurt. It's, it's more complicated now than it was last week. You know, that uh, a lot of these, you know, Tom Precious's uh, story in the Buffalo News, which almost clearly came from the governor's office, um, is borderline moot uh, with the things that we've learned. And plus, the, the bills also dispute the $1.1 billion price tag that was quoted in the story. They're not saying what it is. Maybe it's higher. Uh, but let's just use that for the sake of discussion. $1.1 billion in Orchard Park. Imagine what that cost would be in the city with all the different things that have to be done with the roadways, uh, probably uh, interstate exits or you know stuff off of the 190, um, you know things as simple as putting down new water pipes and you know all the different things that you know the city, all the different entities that you have to deal with. It would never um, happen. They can't build a fishing store or a bridge. Not going to build <laughs> right. the stadium and all the infrastructure needed around it. So that's why it's a subway incredible. to make a left turn or a right turn. That's why Orchard Park has become the favored site for the Pagulas side on this also. But and it know, makes and sense I, because ECC is going to be closing that campus eventually. The land's right there. They could probably get a free land deal right. out of it or the county would maybe still own the land. It, it work, I think it fits like a glove with the current deal they have. It's just you're talking, um, you know, the new business of NFL stadiums and the money involved and how that gets paid for. What are they going to do with yeah, slot? <laughs> that's the prime real estate. Um, Some of these guys might make out. Some of these guys might get bought out and make more money off selling Hammer's Lot, for example, than they ever made off selling parking in Hammer's Lot. I uh, think they should build them a statue if they do, though. One of those uh, wooden wooden deals in front of the big tree that, <laughs> right, that falls exactly. apart with like the yeah. Chris Berman, uh, Andre Reed statues. I like carvings. that idea. Like they should build statues of some of these nutjob fans instead of the players. 
to put outside there. I feel like they're going to have to build the stadium on top of Hammer. He's not going to leave a lot. <laughs> It'll well, there, there's that grave from because they found the Indian burial ground when they cleared off the site in Orchard Park when they built the stadium back in you know whatever that was seventy one. What if they have to like carve out, like sometimes people won't sell their house. And yeah, that's what hammers hammers (laughs) lot will be there and it'll be fenced off. People can't get to it, but he'll still own it and he'll sit in a lawn chair. And uh, I I like it. I think it would be a good, it would be a good uh, unique aspect of, of the bill stadium. Every stadium has its own little, you know, quirky, cool thing. That could be the that could be the cool thing. What I think yeah. is you you buy Hammer out and then you just give him his own jersey with the number one on it that says Hammer on the back and everybody goes home happy. I That's like right. that idea. Good way to show some respect. That's what everybody dreams of. I think that uh, when we're talking about uh, the Pagulas and the goodwill that's kind of gone out the window and where maybe uh, you know maybe they're not. <laughs> they're just not feeling the love is uh, what's going on with Jack Eichel. Of course, I wanted to bring that up uh, his agents. Oh no, no, no. Let's not change the subject yet. Uh, we wanted to talk about Austin uh, as the new boogeyman. Um, Tough real estate market fellas. Yeah. You've already looked into it. It's uh, it's an expensive place to live yeah. compared to Orchard park. Expensive place to rent. I was just down there last month. It's, it's the hot spot. A lot of people are moving there. Maybe that's, Joe you know, Rose. I do want to say about that report this is what struck me as kind of frustrating regarding all the reporting was Seth Wickersham threw that out Seth Wickersham's a good reporter he is connected in ownership circles he and Don Van Nata have done some good stories on ownership when he said an ownership source I did not interpret that to mean a Bills ownership source but a lot of people did and they said oh the Bills want to move to Austin I took that to mean the other owners who probably are sitting there saying, yeah, they need a new stadium and hell yeah, move them. You know, let's do Austin. Austin's next. Uh, and I'm not saying they just pulled it out of their rear end, but I think they have that as their next boogeyman. And they said, yeah, if they're going to move, they should move to Austin, you know, cause Seth probably said the same thing we said off the air is like, where the hell would they move? Like, What's left after LA out and, of viable and Vegas? Threat market. They're out of viable boogeymen other than Austin. You can make a case for it. You could make a case for Toronto, but I think that's too flimsy after what happened. Not if you know ago. the details about whether they're going to pay for it. That's the other thing, Austin, Toronto, and a lot of these cities. If Buffalo's not going to pay half a billion dollars for the stadium, I don't think a lot of these other cities are, especially cities that don't have as high a taxes or in Canada that's apparently just a non-starter right Toronto wouldn't work on New York politicians because they know too much about Toronto they they would know that as a total bluff um Austin is an unknown and that makes you think oh shit uh London is the know, only <laughs> other one I can but, think of but Toronto could work on say Cincinnati because people in Cincinnati, lawmakers in Cincinnati, were not following the Bills uh, in Toronto series. They don't know how bad that is. But that those are the you're not trying to spook the uh, the educated NFL fan here. You're trying to you're trying to make politicians shit their pants, and sometimes that's not tough to do. And, uh, make and the so people get so scared that they get in the politician's ear and say, "You have to pay whatever it takes, no matter what." Right. So Austin is Austin is now the answer, at least for for New York lawmakers. But Austin makes no sense. It's a college market full of Cowboys fans that has dabbled with trying to get an NFL team in the past, and it never really made sense. It's gone to other places in Texas, or other places in Texas have like San Antonio have been determined to be better options. I think San Antonio would be a more logical boogeyman than Austin. And Jerry Jones is against that. Jerry Jones the, is against San Antonio. That's his turf. So, and I, he probably wouldn't be thrilled about Austin, although he's probably not opposed to using Austin as the boogeyman that they needed to be. Yeah, that's the thing. Jerry Jones plays a factor here because of how powerful he is. But if it means more money, you know, I, I think that's what it comes down to for a lot of these owners, including the Pagulas. Uh, and I think that's where 
you know, there's layers to this whole discussion and how viable some of these threats are. I think the next place the NFL moves might end up being London at some point. You know, Shad Khan has shown some uh, questionable, move, you know, questionable levels of commitment to Jacksonville at times over the years. But if the NFL moves to London, you would it would seem like Jacksonville is the first one to go or, or the first to at least have a crack at it. And so, I, yeah, I went through the top, you know, 50 to 60, you know, television markets in the country. And a lot of them have a team already or don't make a lot of sense because of their proximity to another team. You know, Orlando is a pretty big market, but it's squeezed between a few NFL cities. Austin, San Antonio sort of makes sense. I mean, Austin is exploding in population. It's become kind of a mini San Francisco. A lot of tech people are moving there. The Jerry Jones factor is real, but ultimately, I think the question I have is, is would the Pagulas think so much of this will depend on if they can get what they want from the state? Because to Jonah's point, I think they would prefer to stay here. They don't, they never bought the team with the intent to move and make more money somewhere else. I think they bought the team and they wanted to be beloved here. They wanted to, you know, make this all work. It's obviously not all working with the hockey team, but it's working pretty well with the football team. My question is financially, you know, they didn't get into this owning sports teams to make money. They made their money elsewhere and weren't as worried about that. Now their best asset might be this football team and it might make them more money. Well, it definitely would make them more money somewhere else in a market like Austin or something like that. So would they get that desperate? I don't think so. I think it would be relocation would be the type of thing that it would have, it would take negotiations going sideways. And, but the fact that it's even brought up, it, it's tired, it's unfair to the fans around here. And I don't know, it's, it, it's, it's just not, I, I don't think it's something that you know, fans should have to be worried about, but I understand those who, who don't trust these people because they've seen it happen to so many other cities. It happens all the time and it's not threatened unless it's something that they'll actually consider. And they're going to have to pay up for this new stadium. It's going to cost a lot of money and the Pagulas aren't going to front all of it. That's for, they've been, and they've been showing that hand for years since before they, you know, weren't doing well during the pandemic. Right. Which was the impetus for me to write the PSE story that I did, because a lot of people assumed that those layoffs and their business reversals in terms of their restaurants and things were directly attributed to the pandemic because of the timing of it. But those were, those plans had been in the works since before anybody had heard the word coronavirus. Um, and um, yeah, they've, 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 uh, I'm sure that they've re had to rewrite their playbook a couple of times. Uh, even when they if were... they're that desperate for money, though, then the move is to sell the team or sell the Sabres because then you get the cash. $2 billion they'd probably get for the Bills, if not more, whereas moving a team to another location might increase their investment and net worth and things like that down the line, but I don't think it puts money in their pocket. In fact, isn't there relocation fees they would have to pay on the outset, and they're still going to have to pay, I think, something for a stadium. I don't think another city is going to build them a billion-dollar stadium and not. Well, that's how it works. I mean, when a yeah, new place wants a team, they, 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 they bend over. I mean, I guess. But I don't see another market that's bigger than Buffalo spending more than New York State and Erie County. When the chips are down, New York State and Erie County will pay more than any of these threat markets to build the stadium. I think. I, I think so that. too. And this is a rarity in New York. Uh, yes, they did help out. There was some public assistance for the Yankees. I think Yankees was mostly in terms of things like bonds, civic bonds. Um, there was help on city field for the Mets, but New York does not have to go through this often. Uh, they don't have to worry about losing a team because the two NFL teams are in New Jersey. Um, the baseball teams aren't going anywhere. Um, maybe you have to deal with it with the, with the New York Islanders because it's a, it's a strain, it's a niche market. It's not really New York city, but I mean, you know, people, people on here who follow hockey know what I'm getting at there. 
Um, that's a different, but the bills are really a, a politician like, uh, like Andrew Cuomo or Kathy Hochul, whoever's handling this deal, the local politicians, the state politicians, whatever arms they need to, to twist. They don't have, they're not held hostage all the time for sports teams. So I think that that is where it becomes a little more palatable, a little more doable um, than in a place like California, where there are however many, you know, teams that they would have to like San Diego, like San Diego could not get a stadium built. Um, and the reason, a lot of the reason was, is that cause we can't do it for San Francisco and we can't do it for Oakland and we can't do it, you know, so California just can't do that. New York is as, as po- heavily populated as New York is the bills are really the only team they need to worry about. And, and a lot a two of for deal, right? It's, you know, a two for deal with the, the Sabres roped into the, the same little aggressive ask from the Pagoulas. Go well, ahead, Jonah. I thought, well, I just want to say there's some politicians that I, on the record is saying they'll do whatever it takes to keep the bills. And, you know, who knows what that really means? Some of them are U.S. senators that aren't even really involved in New York state finances. But there are a lot of politicians. It's pretty much been a prerequisite for running for office if you need Western New York votes to say that you're at least pretend you're a Bills fan and committed to keeping the team here. But to Matt's point, I thought that was the most offensive part of that whole story, if true, because there's been a little bit of reporting saying maybe it's not being included in the same deal. But the Pagulas owning the arena and operating the arena and the land and surrounding land, wanting $400 million for arena renovations rolled into the Bills stadium deal. I mean, I think that's an obnoxious ask. I think it's interesting. I just, I want to mention it just for the record, because I don't know how it's really going to play out. Um, But there's also a potential conflict of interest regarding the new governor. If Kathy Hochul does emerge as many people expect uh, to replace uh, Andrew Cuomo here relatively soon is that Kathy Hochul's husband is a senior vice president and uh, general counsel uh, for Delaware North. Delaware North does business with stadiums. And uh, just an interesting thing to think about. Now, from what I understand, maybe Delaware North and the Pagulas aren't as tight as a lot of people in Western New York would hope for them to be in terms of a business relationship. And maybe that doesn't factor in at all. But I think that Delaware North would love to get in on a new stadium uh, to be the uh, vendor for wherever the wherever the uh, bills are going to play next. Uh, I'm sure Delaware North would like that concessions contract. Um, just, uh, just something to think about. Yeah, I think Kathy Hochul, if she becomes the governor sometime soon, will remain the governor for about as long as Jack Eichel remains with the Sabres. Right. Yeah. People from Buffalo don't become mayor or uh, I'm sorry, don't become governor. Uh, they don't get elected. I think it's been since 1900 or something like that. I don't know. It's been a long time since somebody from Western New York has been governor of, of New York. Um, Over Cleveland, right? Is he the last one? Might've been, might've been. Millard Fillmore. I don't know. Was Millard Fillmore a governor? I think it's one of those two. Um, So Jack Eichel, you mentioned Jack Eichel there. Um, I just want to throw this out there. We can riff on it. Um, I, (laughs) a lot of people pushed back on Jack Eichel's agents, Peter Fish and Peter Donatelli for their statement of last week in which a lot of fans and a lot of media said was stupid of the agents to do. Uh, and um, because it lowered Jack Eichel's leverage, uh, because uh, it puts the Sabres in a tougher position to trade him. And I didn't see that at all. I, I guess you can argue. I could see how it can be argued. I can see how it can be viewed that way. Um, but mostly what I saw was, an increasing embarrassment for this organization in which they have to get, they have to part ways with Jack Eichel. And I know that the, there's a, there's a thought out there that, so they just keep them and they don't trade him. Yeah, that's true. The Sabres could have done that with Dominic Hasek too. Uh, but there's a reason that they had to settle for Slava Kozlov uh, from the D- Detroit Red Wings for maybe the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest goaltender of all time. Uh, who is still at the top of his game, and he brought back Slava Kozlov. And it's because the players do have leverage. And if Jack Eichel wants to sit and rot, or however he wants to play it, he can. And uh, the agents, I think, really just added pressure 
to the Sabres and to Kevin Adams to get something done or else this is going to continue to be an embarrassment. And yeah, Jack Eichel can show up and play or do whatever or go through your medical, whatever, this, that. Do you want him around? Do you want him in your arena? Do you want the highest profile player in the organization to hate being there and MF in the team to his teammates and getting, who do you think the players are going to side with? Uh, the player who wants to exercise a personal right, even though it's maybe collectively bargained away. Uh, Jack Eichel is going to be a sympathetic figure to his teammates. Uh, he is. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just totally, I just didn't get the, the, immediate, oh, these guys are stupid. I just didn't see it that way. I don't think it was genius, but I don't think it really hurt them that much and uh, might actually be the thing that that forces them to, to cut bait. Well, forget his teammates and what they think because whatever, you know, they've been harping on how bad they want guys who want to be there and, you know, everything else. So maybe they don't like him. Who cares? What about his peers around the league? I think that's probably the most important aspect of this. I don't, I'm sure Jack Eichel has a lot of friends around the NHL. Uh, I know people around here don't think he's a very likable guy and he, he can be surly to the, to the media. I think he's, he's pretty well liked, well respected around the league strikes me as a guy who, who gets along well with, with other stars. He's skating in suburban Boston right now. Um, What's he saying about the Sabres? What, what's, you know, what does this look like if the Sabres hold him hostage when you're trying to, you know, drum up Buffalo as a place to come play? Because eventually you need to sign some free agents. And I know everybody says, you know, I know everybody says winning will solve it or you throw money at guys. Well, I don't know. If you look at the star player, the franchise savior, the guy who, you know, and you treat him like this, while he's there and going out the door, I think what the agents were doing was trying to control the narrative on his health. Uh, they've gotten that doctor out to do an interview. Um, you know, whether that was the agent or however that was set up, I don't know, but um, stands to reason they, they gave him the go ahead. And now you're sitting here to me. Yeah. You could hold Jack Eichel hostage. You absolutely are well within your rights to say, we're not trading you. You can sit out and claim you're injured or whatever else, but I don't know how that helps anybody. It doesn't drive up his price. The longer he sits around, the more his price would go down. I would think I, I don't see a team magically saying, Oh, this guy sat out half the year. Let me throw in an extra first round pick or give you that extra prospect right. you were asking for. A lot of teams will have moved on. If you're trading for Jack Eichel, you have to build a significant portion of your offseason around that idea. And I think that's why the agents are so pissed off is because if you're not going to do it before free agency and around the draft, a lot of teams might have to move on because they've done other things and committed money elsewhere. So I didn't and he, blame he wants the surgery. He still, and he still has time to have this surgery and still be back in time for, to play. And this is, as you mentioned, you, the key phrase was control the narrative. The agents made it clear. Uh, and the doctor, let me get his name, right. Chad Prusmack uh, out in Colorado, who wants to do the disc replacement surgery and is recommending it um, that he still hasn't, he still hasn't been fixed. Uh, so can, can we find a way to move on? I think one way or the other, whether it be a trait, let him have the surgery. What, I, what are we waiting on here? I, I, so the agents were, I think, advancing the discussion. It'd be interesting if they let him have the surgery, if they flipped and said, sure, have the surgery, you know, well, would, he still, would he still want out? Probably. And I wouldn't blame him. Um, but I don't know. I, Kevin Adams, you know, when we started this whole Jack Eichel conversation months ago, the idea was Kevin Adams shouldn't just trade him to trade him. You know, he's got to get something in return. There's always a sweet spot with these things, right? You know, you can't wait too long. And now, the, or the price isn't what you thought it was or what you think it should be. The market is the market sometimes. And I think it may have been smart to take the best offer you could get and move on because maybe Jack Eichel isn't as valuable as he thought he was. And I don't know that you can force him to play 
maybe he would play. If you can get him to play, I think that would be the best alternative to trading him. Get him to what play. What do you mean? He's under contract, and he's been saying he wants to get this surgery so that he can play in the NHL. I think you do have to not force him to play, but expect him to play to at least restore his trade value to show that he is still the player that he was before he got injured and when he was considered a, you know, a heart trophy type level player, maybe not that, but something close to that all-star player. And if the Sabres aren't getting the offers to their likings right now, I don't think they just have to take pennies on the dollar, whatever they can get, because he is their, you know, biggest asset and you want to get as much as you can for that. And I think the deal should be, okay, the conservative approach has not healed Jack Eichel's neck, we'll say, you know, have the surgery that you are comfortable with because we're going to trade you anyways eventually. And then Jack Eichel's part of the deal would be to come back and show that he's healthy and productive again. And then you have up until the trade deadline to try to get a good deal for him. It'll be an awkward situation, but if you get a better deal in February than you get now, it's worth waiting that out. There's an interesting aspect, too, regarding the fact that it's collectively bargained, you know, your medical things. And, yes, I think that it doesn't feel right to me that an athlete can't have the surgery that he wants. And I know that his union bargained away that right. Um, that's just the way it is. That's how these, these things go. I get that. Um, but, you know, there are some other things that just because it's in the CBA – there is a public relations aspect to this uh, that is interesting from the Sabre standpoint. And I, I'm comparing apples to oranges, but it's just another example. Um, for instance, uh, when Tom Golisano and uh, Larry Quinn were upset when the Edmonton Oilers extended that offer sheet to Thomas Vanek after they'd already lost Chris Drury and Daniel Briere, really held the Sabres hostage in which they felt they had to match the, the offer sheet and they were upset. And Larry Quinn was saying, oh, Ed Edmonton will pay for this type thing. You know, he was vengeful. And then a couple of years later, maybe it was just even the next season, Teppo Newman, who had had a history of heart condition, uh, ends up in the hospital again because he needs a heart surgery and can't report to training camp, I think it was, or however it was. And they didn't pay him. Uh, and the reason was, well, it's in the collective bargaining agreement. Like he's unavailable but the guys laid out in the hospital bed, one of the great leaders on the team. And so teams use the whole, Hey, it's in the collective bargaining agreement. That doesn't mean they have to do that. Um, and that's where the PR aspect comes back to where um, like Matthew was saying is what are other players seeing? I mean, what, what's the cost of holding so hard on the collective bargaining agreement regarding this. And of course, this is I've never been done before with a hockey player. I understand the trepidation. Um, and I don't know that I necessarily disagree with the Sabres approach, uh, of insisting that we stay away from this at all costs, this disc replacement, but there is, there, there is a PR toll that is taking its, that is taking, um, taking place. Uh, and you wonder if, if a team is going to hesitate signing up or if a player is going to hesitate sign in as a free agent with the Sabres just because they have this, this reputation of being a place you just, that, that doesn't, uh, that, that isn't as player friendly as some others, other spots. I think it's, there's not a ton of correct answers. It's not dissimilar to the conversation we're having about the stadium and the relocation. It's like, there are many layers to this whole situation and I don't blame Jack Eichel for behaving the way that he's behaved. I don't blame Kevin Adams for asking for the, the world because this guy is really good. Um, I think it's been easy to think otherwise when teams aren't willing to pay it and he didn't play a lot this year and he struggled because he was hurt. You know, I've read some, some of the reporting from our, esteemed NHL colleagues at the athletic about these GMs that are fed up with the asking price and, you know, all pissed off at the Sabres for asking for too much. I mean, the guy is really good. Um, you almost can't ask for too much. Um, 
unless, I don't know, Terry's trying to slip in some public funding for a stadium into some of these uh, trade negotiations. I don't know that you can really ask for too much uh, for a player of Jack Eichel's caliber, but I just wonder if Kevin Adams maybe missed the, the leverage window. Uh, and it seems like he did because now his only leverage is, oh, you're under contract, shut up and play. And that's not great. That's really just not great. Uh, and waiting till the trade deadline and hoping his value goes up, I'm not sure that it will. Because let's say he plays amazing. And presumably if he does that, you should win some games. Now are you going to get rid of him? Um, and if he plays amazing, do you want to get rid of him? If he looks healthy and, you know, he's lighting it up? Now you're a in a much spot better situation to be in. It's a better situation to be having in. a better trade asset than what they have right now. But is it is an unhappy Jack Eichel going to light it up? And couldn't he easily sit here and say, if they don't let him have the surgery, he could say, well, I'm injured. My neck is still injured and I'll sit out. I mean, there have been players right. who have disappeared on the Sabres for much uh, for you know, far less severe reasons than neck injury. There have been guys that have just been like, screw that, I'm not coming. So you, I think you risk damaging the, ass, the trade set even more. If when you it delay comes to a surgery, neck injury too, I mean, one of the, you know, it's like uh, Jairus Bird with his uh, plantar fasciitis of a few years ago. Fasciitis is one of those injuries that can't be diagnosed with an MRI. It's just because of the tissue, the, the nature of the tissue. And if he says he can't go, with plantar fasciitis, he can't go. Similar to, and I'm not saying he did this, but he could have, uh, Percy Harvin and his migraines. Um, if you have migraines, there's no, that doesn't show up. That doesn't show up on an MRI. It doesn't show up on an X-ray. And you got a neck injury. You got you need a you need a disc replacement. Here come those migraines. Um, but then, Matt, when we don't want to do the podcast because we got a bad foot or a migraine. Tim's like, I need a doctor's note. Right. <laughs> right. I was going to say, sometimes, you know, episodes of TJF get delayed and mysterious, mig mysterious migraines pop up at Graham Central Station. <laughs> under yeah, I've under never seen an MRI. No, you, and you never will. <laughs> they don't exist. You can't do it. Um. If I can make one quick point about Kevin Adams, and I think this is why he's in a tough position, somewhat of his own doing and a lot not of his own doing. He has to – the success of this trade will determine the success of his tenure as general manager. And if he doesn't get a good return for this trade, if he doesn't – if you can't point two years later and say there's some good prospects or some good players or good picks that they got from that Jack Eichel trade, when he gets fired, that'll be in the second or third paragraph of the story that he – lost the Jack Eichel trade or he didn't get anything for trading these three guys in this offseason. If it does, if this doesn't work, then he's not going to be working for the Sabres for much longer. Kevin Adams got the job because Jason Bottrell lost the Ryan uh, O'Reilly trade. Exactly. Sure. Great. And, and he made so that Kevin trade Adams because everybody worked. said he had to. He made that trade because it was like, well, now you absolutely have to trade this guy. And so he got raked over the coals. And so that's where I say there's some – there's some layers to this because I do respect what Kevin Adams is doing. He, he wants to get maximum value for the player, for the asset. You know, he doesn't want to be Jason Botterill 2.0. He doesn't want this to be the Ryan O'Reilly trade where Jack Eichel is chugging Guinness out of the Stanley cup in a few months. And, you know, it's, it's like that, that played side by side with Buffalo. I'm coming for you. while he was chugging Bud lights at BU. Like, you know, this, he doesn't want to be, that GM. And so it's, it's a really hard situation. I think maybe he hopes it can, you know, worst case scenario, it's like the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, right? The Jack Eichel starts posting some Michael Jordan pictures on his Instagram and shows up to Sabres training camp with long hair and sunglasses. Who, is, uh, and who would be Jack Eichel's Reggie Cobb? That's the problem. Gotta, Sam Reinhardt. Yeah. Well, it would have been Sam Reinhardt, but he's gone. Um, who is he going to so insist even, that they trade to get back if they want to make him happy? I need my Reggie Cobb. Um, who was the kid uh, that he played with? Vander Kane. Wasn't what? Sheary his his guy? Uh, Sheary, there you the go. Day. Maybe, maybe they could have. Jimmy maybe they can. Evan um, Rodriguez, his BU buddy. 
maybe they can bring in Jake Kumaro at least to talk, you know, have a chat about what it's like, you know, just to, to Ryan be that O'Reilly, guy. didn't they love playing together? Probably. No, they didn't. I, I, I would think. Um, all right. I want to talk about UB because a lot of stuff's been going on there. Jonah Bronstein's been all over it. He was down in Dayton covering hey. TBT. Columbus I saw you. I saw a image of you uh, interviewing the new UB football coach at uh, there's a, a video at buffalonews.com in which Jonah Bronstein is prominently in the, in the, uh, in the, in the camera lens. What am I looking for? What, what's the phrase I'm looking at? He was in, in the, the line of sight. He was in the shot. Um, so Jonah, tell us what, uh, well, let, let's start with TBT. That was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. It was fun event overall because um, I caught a lot of games there, not just the blue collar U Buffalo alumni team games, but I wasn't there to the final, but the Syracuse team, Bayhams Army uh, won the TBT championship for the first time in seven years. And I like the brand of basketball, the way it's played, the Elam ending where you play to a certain score, the FIBA rules, the, the officiating allows it to be a little bit more physical. I think it's a bit of a better television product than college basketball with players for the most part that the television audience and the fans already know and know their personalities and identities and who they are. And I think there's a lot of fun watching these alumni teams come back together and remind you of the glory days or to show you new aspects of their game. And and a lot of times they're better players from playing overseas and the Buffalo team made a good run. And it was, they were entertaining to watch the way they play and the storylines and the the people that they have. And, you know, I'm working on a story that's going to be in the Niagara Gazette tomorrow, if not the next day, that there's the wheels are in motion and they're trying to bring this event to Buffalo, if not next year, in a future year, if they can find a suitable venue. The tournament wants to do this. The Blue Collar U team and the boosters behind that really want to what, have. What's a suitable venue, Jonah? Because it would seem well, that they have their options uh, for an event like they, that, they whether have it options. be downtown or so, at UB. UB is would be the preference of the tournament officials. They, they like if a alumni team or a, you know, a local team is hosting, they would want it at the campus where those home games are, where they already have the infrastructure to do certain things, training rooms and getting the fans in and out, just have it be like college games in the summer. Uh, you know, as I said, that it's a cleaner fit when they have the school hosting at the arena where they would host regular season games and UB if they're going to get involved, would want to have it on their own campus anyways. And the blue collar U people would prefer to have it at UB. The problem with Alumni Arena currently is that it doesn't have air conditioning and a summer event, uh, you know, that's really a non-starter with the TBT. If the floor gets too humid and slick, there's an injury risk for the players. Uh, that's what I was told that uh, they would either need to bring in some sort of air conditioning solution in order to have it at Alumni Arena. But there are other gyms in Western New York that do have air conditioning, ECC being one of them that at about 3,000 seats is a little small, but fits mostly what CBT venues tend to do. And the arena downtown being a possible option, but probably too expensive and a little bit too large for this TBT event. But I wouldn't rule it out. I think if um, some financial backing got involved to pay for it and bring have the Syracuse team and the Bonnet team and the Buffalo team and maybe even another locally connected team that, that will draw interest and draw fans. If they sell enough tickets, that will pay for what it costs to rent out the arena and play there in the middle of the summer when really nothing goes on at that arena. Oh, that's cool. Well, we'll look for that story tomorrow then in the Niagara Gazette. That's a, that's a good update. Uh, yeah, what, when what I, is when it, I get um, around to writing it, I mean, you know that, Tim, sometimes <laughs> right. you don't publish as quickly as, as you want them to. What is it about UB? Uh, oh, go ahead, Matthew. Do you think they could have this tournament in a $1.1 billion football stadium in Orchard Park? Just throw some hardwood down and play outside? You know, it would be cool. I mean, I I, I could book a lot of events for this $1.1 million stadium in the summer that I think would be cool. Uh, Basketball in an outdoor venue, uh, it's been done. I mean, they play in football stadiums for the Final Four. Usually you need a dome cover or you do it in the middle of the summer with some sort of giant tent structure. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But Aircraft carrier? Yeah, it, it's happened before. Uh, what made you be so so um, so effective in this tournament? 
obviously, you know, the players are well, good. It starts with that. But is there something about the, the chemistry of these guys or what, what made what elevated them over more pedigreed um, schools? Well, I do think that the chemistry helps them. Alumni teams tend to do well in this tournament because they know how to play together. Uh, all these teams have short training camps, but having played together in college, guys know strengths and weaknesses and where to go on the floor, and they can run the same plays that they ran before. And some of these alumni teams draw from a longer period of time and guys that didn't play together. And for the most part, the Buffalo players on the Blue Collar U team played together. Even the non-UB guys they picked up were friends of C.J. Massenburg from Texas that kind of knew how to fit in pretty well. They had guys that coached them in college coaching this team and knew how to use guys and where to use them. But when Nate Oates came for their third round win and he told them in the locker room and when I was talking to him after, he said, you're winning because you play harder than these other teams because this is summer basketball and professionals and yeah, they're playing for a million dollars. But uh, some of these teams don't, they all want to win, but some of these teams come in with a little bit more edge and a little bit more uh, playing as if the games matter. Because uh, some of these guys play for bigger money overseas and they're just trying to not get hurt or they don't know their own teammates. And so I think that helped this Buffalo team that, one, they knew each other and they knew how to play together. And, two, they really were coming back to try to do better in this tournament than they did in the NCAA tournament. They won two games together in the NCAA tournament but never got out of that second round. And I think they took some pride in getting to – I'm not going to call it the Final Four, but it was as far as advancing in the Final Four in the NCAA tournament. And I think they took a lot of pride in being able to win four games in this tournament having only won one game in the NCAA tournament before. And uh, Maurice Linguist uh, met with the media yesterday. Uh, obviously, uh, there was the MAC Media Day a couple weeks back, uh, and they were picked to finish fourth, I think. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot of uncertainty. That, uh, they've been picked all over the place in different polls that I've seen. You know, I didn't get a vote in that MAC Media poll, so I don't really take it that seriously. Um, but there's other magazines and different prognosticators. I think I've seen them between fourth and second. Not, not too many places have I seen them picked as the favorite to win. Um, but you know what? They're not the defending champions, so maybe they shouldn't be picked to win. Yeah, I, I'm just surprised. I think they do have a lot going for them. Um, they do have key returnees all over the place. And do you think it just comes down to the fact that uh, it's a new coach? If Lance Leipold's still there, are they – more favored. Yeah. And there's other good teams that are bringing a lot back. You know, a lot of college football players are coming back or, you know, a lot has to do with the transfer portal. They lost. So turns out how closely you're looking at things because they did lose, you know, five guys to Kansas. I think they lost six, seven or eight different players in the transfer portal after the um, coaching change. And a few, even before that, Jared Patterson going to the NFL, he was not only the most productive player, but their biggest name player. Um, in Buffalo, a lot of people seem to know that Kevin Marks was very productive and a, and a capable replacement. But if you're not that close to the situation, you might not really know that uh, there might be no drop off at running back. I think that the combination of the coaching change and the players that they lost knock them down a little bit of a peg. And they still could win this league, but I'm not really surprised that they're not favored to win the MAC which I thought maybe they would have been if Lance Leipold and the whole team came back. Because coming out of the spring, it looked like they could have a returning starter at just about every position. Now, you know, they lost three of their top four wide receivers. They lost two or three starting offensive linemen, some starting defensive linemen. But they brought in grad transfers and replacements that could be just as good or better. But we don't really know that. And people outside of Buffalo especially don't know who's coming in and how good they're going to be. I wanted to ask you uh, before we wrap it up, just I don't I don't know if you have any inside information on this or just a, if you've given it any thought. But with Syracuse having fired its women's basketball coach, um, Felicia Leggett Jack uh, in Syracuse. Any any possibility there? I think it's a very good possibility of happening at some point. I think they've named they're going internal. They have an interim coach for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't know if that was announced. I think it was, but if it's not, that seems to be what everybody expects they'll go for one season. And then Felicia Legge Jack has already come out and, you know, said that she's interested in the job and that people at UB, Mark Allnut, know that she would have interest in that and that it's going home and it is part of, you know, something that would attract her. 
I think it's good for UB that it's not happening so close to the season now, late in the offseason. It would really disrupt the UB season if that were to happen now. It could hang over the heads of the UB team if they know their coach is out the door. But you know what? They're a veteran team. A lot of these players are seniors. And, and, you know, college players are looking ahead to the next step as well. They're not all seniors or all going to the WNBA. But I think if everybody knows this is our last run together, then coach leaves and maybe a lot of the players leave too. Um, I don't think that would really disrupt the chemistry of the team for one season. All right. What else do we want to talk about? I think we got think? through most of it. How's Matt's golf game? Well, I made it into the eighties for the first time in my life. Um, oh, a couple weeks ago with, uh, friend of the show, Chris Baker, and uh, loyal listener Ravi as witnesses. I had not played in a long time um, because, as some listeners know, I became a father recently. And so I had I was probably off the course for about six weeks and had my best round ever when I came back. So fatherhood has given me a new perspective on the golf course and, and really helped my scores. Chris Baker always has opinions on that type of stuff. Why does Chris Baker think that you played so well after six weeks off? Chris Baker. I know you funny, talked about it. Funny story was that over the winter, we've been, we golfed together a lot last year. I had never golfed with Chris Baker until a year ago and we golfed a ton and, you know, I'm not very good, but I had been making some slow improvements and over the winter, he made a prediction that on July 15th, I would have my first round in the eighties with an 86. And he said, it will be your first round back after the baby comes. And my first round back was July 23rd. So he was a week off on when my first round back would be, but I shot 87. So he was pretty close. And there's actually a thing in PGA tour that guys who have kids play well afterwards, John Rahm, had a young baby and won the U S open. So it's uh, not a Chris Baker proprietary theory here, but that was sort of his thought was, you know, it's for me, it was, I just was not angry about anything. I couldn't, I couldn't get pissed off at a bad shot. Cause it's like, I'm out here. I'm, I'm you know, right. got a break from, from diapers and stuff for a little while. I, you know, enjoy the, the me time. And so why would I get mad at a bad golf shot? You know? So I think that kind of, must have helped. I don't I watched a lot of golf while I was out, but I did not swing a club for probably six weeks and had the best round of my life. So right on. I played golf for the first time in probably 10 years when I was in Austin, Texas, and I didn't play that great. I don't I didn't keep score. I only kept track of how many balls I lost. And you didn't have a baby. You need I a baby. A baby. <laughs> Wasn't lactating like Fairburn. Maybe that helps with your game. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whatever it was. Um I'm playing again Sunday and I have a feeling I'm going to play terrible. Now it's going to be all in my head and I'm going to be. uh, I still haven't golfed, but I have a story coming out tomorrow about a famous golfer. Uh, The athletic, uh, check that out. (laughs) That is true. That's very true. Um, One of the world's most famous golfers. In fact. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Check it out. Tiger Woods. I can't say. Not going to say necessarily what he's famous for, although these days, kind of. He is a famous golfer. Um, In fact, you can see him. He's at he's at the golf course all the time, right? Yeah, probably more than he is. I mean, when you. Yeah. When you see him, he's always at the golf course. Yeah, that's why I say now he's sort of famous for Mm -hmm. being a golfer, but he's more famous for a few other things, but he probably spends as much time at the golf course as any non-professional golfer in the world. So right. Michael Jordan. Oh, is he more guess. or less famous than Michael Jordan? Good guess. You're getting warmer. <laughs> That's uh, a good question. More or less famous than Michael Jordan. I'd say more. I'd say more. Le- more, you think? More. But it's close. It's close. I mean, Michael Jordan is one of the most famous people on the planet as far as athletes go, but I'd say this person might have him beat. Yeah, I think that's close. I think you're right. He's probably more. There's got to be a way we can quantify that. But I mean, he um, did used to be president. He is Barack Obama that we're talking about here. <laughs> well, there's. He did used to be. He did used to be president. 
that's another good, that's a good clue. If it's true, if it's a, if it's an accurate clue, it's a good one because. I was going to crack another, I was going to crack a joke, but Tim actually might have another story coming on, on another guy. Um, so I, I, I can't even make jokes with it. I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> I'm going to stumble into something here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I stumbled into something this week. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I won't say, but there's, uh, there's somebody out there who's, we haven't heard from in a while. Tim has former presidents on speed dial is, mm, and he's ready point. to talk. I'm interested in this. I have my theories. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you everyone for, uh, sticking with, uh, Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants. Uh, thank you for listening until next time. Um, which will not be three weeks in between. That was vacation. We'll come back uh, with another TGAF as soon as possible. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and is partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.